Yeah, I think it's uh, HRI is a really interesting area. It also kind of has like a lot of sub areas, connections with HCI, connections with human factors. So yeah, I think there's a lot to discover still. Welcome to another episode of HVIC Talks, a podcast produced by the Human Factors Interest Group at the University of Toronto. In this episode, we talked to Professor Jamie Lee, an assistant professor in the Department of Mechanical and Industrial Engineering at Ryerson University. Professor Lee specializes in the field of human-robot interaction and conducts research on a variety of different areas such as socially assistive robots and voice assistants. In this conversation, Professor Lee discusses his background and his current research, the links between human-robot interaction and human factors, and his thoughts on how research in human-robot interaction will evolve moving forward. So my name is Jamie Wee. I um, am a, currently an assistant professor in the Mechanical and Industrial Engineering program at uh, Ryerson University. And my background um, is I'm at U of, U of T. I did my master's and bachelor's there um, in um, engineering science and industrial engineering. And I did my um, PhD at Stanford in communication research. During my master's at U of T, I did a um, internship at uh, Keio University in Japan. And um, they had these uh, robotic teddy bear phones. So yes, there were robots in the shape of teddy bears that also had phone ability. Uh, so I did an experiment about how people could kind of communicate using the gestures of this robot bear. Um, so that's kind of how I got started. Um, that was the first study I did with the uh, HRI. Yeah, and, and then what basically led you to want to pursue a career in that field? I guess I thought it was a, an interesting field. Um, it's uh, it was kind of like an emerging field, and um, yeah, I I, I didn't um, <clears throat> I yeah I, I I didn't see that it was I don't know like solved or something like that. So I thought there was a lot of um, potential, um, especially because um, robots um, yeah can be important uh, technology devices in the future. So um, how people interact with that. You know, there's still some open questions about that. Um, yeah, so part of it was like chance based on, you know, the, the project that I, I worked on. And then part of it was also that, uh, that uh, yeah, has kind of a, yeah, perhaps like a promising kind of a area that mixes a bit of engineering and a bit of uh, psychology. And yeah, for sure. Um... And what applications of this field are you particularly interested in uh, with your research right now? So right now I'm interested in um, applications with special populations. Um, so especially um, elderly persons um, and those from minority groups. Uh, also kind of collaboration with um, uh, industries, um, so whether there's like schools or elderly care centers, um, to see how um, robots can assist them. Uh, and I'm mostly working with um, uh, socially assistive robots. So yeah, there's kind of, yeah, I guess like two general groups, which is one is more like functional, like physically assistive, um, you know, like exoskeletons and stuff like that. And um, one is more like socially assistive, where, you know, it's providing information or <laughs> or yeah, telling jokes or, or agenda setting or, uh, you know, motivation type thing. Um, so I'm working more with the socially assisted ones uh, for special populations. 
Yeah, so I'm interested. You mentioned um, that you're working with uh, groups like elderly people, but also other minority groups. So can you elaborate a bit more on how you think, uh, for example, socially assisted robots can, can help these particular groups? Um, <clears throat> so for elderly, Mm, yeah, there, there could be like more functional assistance, like, um, like uh, reminders, um, telling jokes, playing music. Um, yeah, for example, there was like a startup um, um, at Ryerson that I heard of that was like um, giving um, um, uh, older, older adults like uh, music, um, like they put their favorite songs and stuff like that, so that can kind of boost their mood. So part of it can be like those kind of activities. And then part of it could also be like voice um, enabled activities. So more like, um, you know, Amazon Alexa type, type activities where they're actually kind of having more like conversation. Mm, so it could be a little bit more like, um, yeah, a little bit more like social elements uh, or it could be more just like the functional um, like uh, it's going to play music or it's going to, um, uh, you know, issue reminders. It's really interesting. I think there are a lot of cool applications for that kind of technology. Um, can you give an example of an interesting finding from some of these studies or your research work that uh, you've been doing? Yeah, some of the robot research I've done, um, I, I did look at, uh, kind of the inter the yeah human robot interaction the uh, like the role of the robot and the role of the person um, yeah because there's different I guess when um, like people interact with other people there's different types of role like one person could be more subordinate the other person could be more dominant whereas with the robot it's not really clear should the like how the robot should be um, especially if it is like a like a humanoid robot or has like some social features. Uh, so again, this is more for like the social side, not necessarily for a robot that, that you know, is a robotic uh, wheelchair or something like that. It's more for like, you know, when there's actually a conversation or some sort of agency. Um, so I did some studies about that. Um, and um, I did find that um, people generally didn't respond well to a robot that was kind of dominant or, or like, um, <clears throat> you know, kind of higher status, higher, higher, higher position than, um, than the person. Um, so they generally preferred robots to be more like subordinate to people. Um, so, so um, yeah, showing people, for example, um, <clears throat> um, videos of a robot on a person, um, when the robot's dominant, the person's subordinate, they actually don't like the robot and they also don't like the person <laughs> compared to when, you know, it's the other way around. Um, so there is some sort of, um, yeah, perhaps uh, like special considerations when it is a robot versus, versus a person. Um, yeah, so that's that's one example. Um, yeah, I can think of. Um, yeah, oh, that, um, yeah, that, that is really be... interesting. Um, like, I'm wondering um, if that that was observed like across the board for like all sorts of participants, or were there any um, particular characteristics of people who didn't like that interaction or that kind of relationship, or I don't know, maybe that there could be different, you know, factors that could influence how people perceive that kind of interaction, right? Right, yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Yeah, um, yeah, especially because, um, <clears throat> yeah, there there is some evidence that, uh, you know, like, yeah, some people who are maybe more like, um, depending on their personality, they may want, for example, like a complementary personality with the robot. 
Yeah, so um, yeah, that, that, that was something that that study, for example, didn't really look at. Um, however, that definitely could be something that, uh, yeah, um, that that um, there definitely might be individual differences. Yeah, yeah, th this one is more just like the, um, just like uh, averages, like the like um, general, like statistical differences. So it was more like quantitative as opposed to qualitative. But I think the qualitative would definitely come up with more like, uh, um, yeah, individual variation. Yeah. Another question that, I think might be related to this subject is um, what do you think is the role of emotion in human robot interaction? Yeah, I think emotion has a really large, uh, well, maybe not large, but very, um, I guess, very like interesting role in a way because robots, you know, they, they do have a lot of, um, I would say they have a lot of like media presence too and the concept of a robot. So there's definitely something that some people find interesting or appealing about emotions and robots, you know, do robots have emotions and stuff. So it raises kind of like some, some interesting questions. I think on the research side, there's more like, um, um, yeah, maybe, maybe there's like two different areas. One is like um, people expressing emotions toward robots. Um, so um, for example, more like um, ethnographic studies or something like that, where they're looking at, you know, how much do people actually connect or express emotions towards robots? even robots that aren't necessarily designed to be social. So in my research, I'm more doing things that like with the shoulder robot where it's like talking to you or like um, gesturing at you. Um, and there's also, for example, uh, mind diffusing robots, which are not designed to have any sort of communication. <laughs> um, and, but, but there have been studies that have shown like, actually people sometimes do form some sort of connection with the mind-diffusing robot uh, based on the fact that it is saving people's lives. Uh, of course, it's not to the level of, um, you know, an actual human being. However, it is more than just the level of, you know, uh, you know a sponge or something like that, right? So um, it is kind of an interesting kind of variation, you know, how intelligence is actually affecting people's emotions toward the object. Um, even though they, they know it's not a real object. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think that's the one interesting. Um, and then the other area is also just like, um, yeah, how robots can express emotions to people. Um, so that, that one might be useful for like entertainment purposes. Um, like you know, it's gonna, gonna smile a certain way or gonna, you know, um, uh, yeah, have smiley faces or, or comedic, you know, sad faces or whatever. Um, yeah, and it could also be for, for example, um, yeah, some people who may have difficulty with processing emotions uh, to kind of help teach them. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm wondering if um, you might observe people who are a bit more like apprehensive or afraid of a robot that is showing too much emotion or like would they think that it's too much like a human or have this, I don't know, like uncanny valley effect where they think, you know, it's very human-like, but also I know it's kind of a machine and it's not real. So I'm wondering if that, that has also been observed. Yeah, that's definitely a big, uh, a big question um, in HRI is, yeah, can, yeah, kind of the, like, kind of the uncanniness and also like, yeah, um, yeah, comparison with people, how, how would people react with robots? I think that's kind of still, yeah, a bit of an unanswered question. Um, like the Uncanny Valley, there definitely are cases where um, people are reporting that this is really, yeah, it is kind of very human-like and it kind of makes people feel kind of uneasy or like that the system is kind of, you know, odd. <laughs> um, 
Um, yeah, again, kind of like what you we were saying before, it might have something to do with some individual differences and also kind of like the application of the robot and, and like, um, yeah, the specific design of a specific robot. So I think there isn't like a, at least um, from, from my understanding, there isn't like a, um, yeah, a set answer yet. It kind of, uh, yeah, depends, like you said, on individual differences and, uh, and, and the robot. Yeah, for sure. And I think maybe even like the context or how it's going to be used, I believe. Right. Uh, might even affect that. So this is, you know, a human factors podcast. And I think your background is also somewhat related to human factors if you have a master's in industrial engineering. Um, but, you know, these two fields, you know, human factors and human robot interaction are very like interconnected. So what do you think is the relationship between human robot interaction as the field and human factors? So, yeah, um, I think in HRI, there are some computer science um, background people. So some, of, and also some like robot, roboticists people. So um, some of the focus in HRI is kind of developing like robot prototypes, um, which might be future looking and not necessarily like in industry. Um, so, um, so for example, like um, humanoid robots, um, you know, in my research, I've used some humanoid robots, um, uh, like the now robot, um, which, um, you know, they aren't really that widespread uh, and it's kind of more like developing a prototype for it. Uh, so I think that one thing that um, is a nice connection between human factors is that um, uh, human factors has a lot of experience with like actual industrial use of robots. So um, yeah, for example, like UAV, there's like a lot of um, UAV research, like military robots that are actually in, uh, in yeah, I would say like in, in widespread use. Um, so I think that kind of kind of complements each other in a way. Um, because sometimes the HRI um, prototypes are, are uh, um, more like, um, yeah, trying to be like future looking and kind of what is, you know, what could, could it look like if, if we had, you know, delivery robots um, everywhere, for example. So I think it's a nice compliment because um, yeah, um, there are some like um, computer science um, topics like you know, like perception, for example, in 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 um, HRI, um, and um, you know HRI can also um, uh, connect with um, kind of the, the more uh, human factors approach uh, on things like you know situation awareness, um, like trust. There's a lot of like trust in robotics issues that I think um, have really um, connected like uh, human factors and HRI. Yeah. And I think maybe also one other connection or, you know, similarity or common theme is the methodology for how the research is conducted. Um, maybe like how experiments are designed, although I'm not really aware of how these uh, experiments that conduct on human robot interaction are designed or are conducted. So, but there might be some similar approaches in terms of just like the, the methodology. Yeah, there's definitely like a, like a certain rigor to kind of like the quantitative and also like the qualitative methods. Um, and, and it is a little bit more like, yeah, I guess like scientific usually. I mean, there are also more like uh, qualitative studies as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, in terms of methods, a lot of them are really like, um, yeah, user or operator centered. Um, yeah, and um, some of it is also kind of like more like theoretical and stuff like that, but trying to be like rigorous in that way. So, yeah. I think that's a good point too. Um, so yeah, where do you see the field of human-robot interaction heading in the future? Um, it could be just in general or particularly your research. 
uh, well, in general, I think, um, yeah, uh, based on my, my opinion, also, um, yeah, opinion of, of uh, some, yeah, some colleagues and other people I know in the field who, who have yeah, given talks about it. Um, uh, and my, I my, my own talks, I guess, as well. Um, yeah, I think uh, one area is kind of like smooth collaboration between people and robots. Uh, so I think that's kind of a big area, um, which also overlaps a lot with um, like the current like buzzwords and AI, like explainability and interpretability and like fairness and stuff like that. Because I think there's also a lot of examples where um, people don't really understand how robots work and and as a result, the interaction doesn't go very smoothly. Um, so one example um, is, yeah, um, yeah. Um, for example, like a, a robot that's trying to open a door. Um, some people who, um, apparently some people I mean, um, um, who are even engineers, they'll wanna help the robot. So they'll try to like open the door for the robot. Um, but in that process, it actually causes the robot to have to rescan the whole because it detected there's movement in front of it. So then it actually has to take twice as long because it now needs to rescan the whole door. <laughs> you know, so that kind of indicates like the people don't really understand, you know, um, how a robot works. <laughs> it's not like a toaster, right? Everyone has an understanding of a toaster. I, I mean, unless you're like you're 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 like very young, but but most people they have they know how a toaster works, right? So there's no method of confusion. But with the robot, they don't. Another example is like um, robots that are like delivering items um, that are on the street. Uh, so now those are more common. Uh, and like people will like step in front of the robot to kind of be like observing it and like kind of checking it out and stuff like that, which actually prevents it from crossing the street. <laughs> uh, so sometimes people don't really um, understand or they kind of behave in ways that actually kind of hinder its its operation. So I, I kind of think of that like, um, you know, in AI, there's the idea of like the black box, like AI is in black box, how we interpret it. And I think robotics is kind of like a, a literal black box because sometimes the robots are actually black boxes <laughs> and people don't really have an understanding of what's kind of inside the black box. So I think that kind of um, like ways to solve that would be things like um, intent communication. So for like autonomous vehicles or, or any set of robot, like how is it communicating its intent on one hand. And another hand is kind of like the explainability, like the mental model that the person has, um, their understanding of like, what are the functions of the robot? Um, you know, does it have a perception module? To, like, kind of, um, how how is it kind of programmed to to operate? Um, so I think that's one area, like kind of smooth collaboration. Um, I think some other areas, just um, yeah, this this might be a bit random, but um, yeah, I think voice is also kind of a big area for HRI, um, especially because like Amazon Alexa and Google Voice and all these voice systems are kind of um, becoming more popular. Um, and I think on the design side, there's still a lot of questions about that. Um, you know voice right now is very much like a transactional interaction where they have like an intent and then the um the system has like an intent specification and then it keeps on asking questions until you get to a specific intent specification level and then boom it operates <laughs> it performs the operation however you know when people talk they don't necessarily talk you know like oh um you know oh do you want you know what song do you want or, or something like people don't necessarily talk that way so uh, you know, for different applications, how are we going to design, design voice? Um, yeah, so one of the projects that I was working on, um, a student group um, was kind of taking like a plant robot and then putting a conversational agent inside it. 
I was trying to do like behavioral activation therapy. So um, kind of how to structure that, um, that interaction would, um, would like the robot be initiating, would the person be initiating, um, what kind of those conversations would look like, um, not necessarily um, under the umbrella of, you know, the Amazon Alexa kind of style, but, you know, if there could be more, um, more uh, open uh, options to kind of have that conversation happen. Yeah, so you basically mean trying to make this conversation more natural and less kind of like, because when I interact with these voice assistants, it just feels like I'm just giving commands, like play music or tell me what's on my calendar for today. So I guess what like a future thing would be making these interactions more like a real conversation. Yeah, I think that, that can definitely be, yeah, I would say that, that definitely um, would open the avenue for more types of applications. Yeah, because it would be difficult to have like, you know, for example, the conversation that we're having now um, in a way where it's kind of like an intense specification type type thing, I think. So um, yeah, in terms of the, the yeah, like one, one of the, the, I guess the anecdotes, uh, I think the one I think about voice uh, assistance is that, you know, if you actually have a human assistant, um, you, you would never, like, for example, you never call um, a, a, um, a human that gives a lecture, a human, you know, uh, uh, sorry, not a human, a robot that gives a lecture, uh, a robot professor, because as a professor, you do a lot of different things. You don't just, you know, give a, give a, give a speech. So similarly, like if you actually have an assistant, you know, in the department assistant or something, they do a lot more stuff than just answer questions and ask you questions, you know, or tell you the time or something like that. Like they, they have like, you know, they, they gather information about, um, you know, the social context, um, you know, and they also do a lot of interpretation. Like if they say, okay, I need to reach somebody, they don't just, you know, initiate the call, you know, they, they like could initiate the call, but they also take into account like, okay, well, where the person is, um, instead of initiating the call, they might be like, okay, well, I can call, like, contact them with email or call or go to their office. And, you know, with different people, you know, they're better, um, you know, this professor kind of, um, you know, really responds well to email, whereas this other professor, you need to go to off. So they, they have a lot more, um, like context and a lot more um, ability than the current the current um, voice assistance, you know, which is just you know I'm looking up in a database and I initiate the call um, because yeah, like human assistants don't actually just do it that simply. They they have a lot more like um, um, uh, ability than 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 that. So I think one one direction for it. I, I mean, I think voice assistants are very strong for what they do, like setting a timer, for example. There's no better way to set a timer. It's, it's, it's like a very great way to set a timer. Uh, I think um, they have a lot of potential uh, with um, uh, when we're kind of factoring in that there's a lot of different um, kind of structures for um, voice communication um, that, that, um, that uh, are available to people. Yeah, and what do you think are some of the challenges for that? Obviously it's a very challenging problem to get you know, a voice assistant or just any sort of automation to become more like a human and like make these assumptions based on context or based on different rules. So um, based on your knowledge and your research, what do you think are some of the challenges and concerns about that? I think one challenge might be just how much to structure the conversations. Um, so I, I think that there definitely is um, a lot of benefit to having some structure to conversations. 
um, because, um, you know, kind of in line with the collaboration between people and robots, this is kind of the connection I see with HRI, um, that um, it's helpful to have like a mental model to be able to understand like um, how the interaction will go. So I think for example, uh, roles are very helpful because roles, um, when you have, uh, when you identify a role for the object or the, the robot or, or the voice agent, then it kind of gives people like a bit of a context on like how they're gonna interact with them, uh, the, the, uh, the system. Um, so I think, yeah, one of the, one of the challenges would probably be um, identifying the level of um, like the structure. Um, so, so kind of what kind of structure um, the interaction would have. Mm -hmm. I, I think another challenge are, are things like, uh, yeah, the, the, inter uh, the interpretability uh, and explainability. Um, so um, either, yeah, either training people to or using uh, um, the Kind of the role uh, moniker to be able to kind of um, help people understand how the interaction will go. Uh, I think people um, think with the question and answer, it's quite um, yeah maybe that's quite um, uh, one advantage of it is that it's quite easy for people to understand what the interaction will be like because they're just kind of answering questions. Um, so I think with the with the kind of a more complex or more open ended kind of uh, formats, then um, it would be helpful for people to know, um, uh, to have some sort of communication or, or some sort of training or some sort of you know indicator or, or prompt to kind of be able to shape that. Yeah, yeah, I think that you know so many of these problems are really interesting even to me personally. I think you know with even with a simple um, interaction with like this voice assistant and then it decides like if you ask it to call someone and then it decides based on what it knows that actually this person isn't really reachable by phone a lot, so I'd rather just send them an email. Um, I think it would be important to communicate to the person who's asking um, why it decided to send an email instead, right? Like, so, so that's kind of part of that explainability or interpretability, right? So that, that would be um, kind of one of the challenges, but also maybe yeah, one good. other, yeah, like one other difficulty would be like, why is it telling me too much information? Maybe, like, I think it's just balancing the, the amount of information that it's telling the user um, to make it interpretable or explainable, but also not telling them too much that they don't really need to know, like not explaining every single um, right. decision that it's making. Yeah, that's a big research point too. Yeah, there's definitely some studies, for example, with like um, autonomous vehicles as well, where they're kind of, um, it's not just the amount, but it's also the type. So for example, with autonomous vehicles, um, they're also making a lot of decisions autonomously. And so what information are you gonna give to the um, rider slash driver? And so some of it is like, um, do you give the information before it does the action? Do you give it after it does the action? And do you, what kind of information do you do? Do you kind of give like a rationale for, do you just give a explanation? For example, I'm turning left. So you know it's turning left. Or do you give a, I'm turning left because of, you know, this is the reason, because I saw the sign. <laughs> or do you just give the, I saw the sign? You know, so there's like, you know, there's maybe like three different options. And then their study actually found, um, that people don't like it when they give too much information. So that would be definitely aligned with what you're saying. Yeah, because they didn't, they didn't rate it well when it gives both the, um, um, both the, um, the action it's doing and also the rationale. Um, probably kind of like what you're saying because it's just too, too much information. 
Yeah, that that is actually my area of research. So like I do uh, study, you know, like uh, driving automation systems and how people interact with them. So um, that's always interesting to me. And like it is particularly on display design or like how to communicate information to the driver. So um, I'm always interested in learning more about, you know, the theory behind how to make things more interpretable or what kind of information to present to the user. So that's why. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, like also with like privacy and stuff like that. There's, I mean, that's just a whole other area. <laughs> well, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting area of research. Yeah, in terms of like what to present to them that, that makes them like a good level and of their understanding. Yeah. With privacy, a lot of it is based on like public opinion, like public opinion polls. I think one other open question is kind of how that actually translates to to people when they actually get the device, you know, and when they're actually kind of using it. And yeah, yeah, I think privacy is a, yeah, definitely a big issue. Because also part of it is also like, um, uh, maybe the quality of the system as well, because if actually is a robust, you know, system where like the privacy actually is preserved, then it's not necessarily an issue. However, it might not be 100%, uh, you know, um, foolproof or not foolproof, but, uh, you know, hack proof. <laughs> I think all of these factor into those conversation about trust or um, yeah, like that trust of the, the automated system or the robot. Because um, when you were earlier discussing things like, oh, the robot is supposed to be um, opening a door or closing a door. Um, when people decide to help the robot, it's a sign of like a lack of trust or distrust, but that also makes that um, whole interaction less effective or less efficient right so privacy might also play a role in that yeah because if they're helping the robot maybe it is because they don't necessarily trust it to do the right thing or be able to do it yeah i guess if the if it were designed to be more like trustworthy or 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 even just like communicate communicate that it's it's doing it then then maybe people wouldn't would kind of be able to interact with it more smoothly where they don't actually kind of try to compensate for it or something like that so yeah, I think human factors also has quite a lot of um, um, literature on the trust, like appropriate levels of trust mm-hmm. too. So for me, I was kind of thinking it's like more like the understanding of how the robot is operating because they wouldn't do that if, however, I kind of see what you're saying too. It's like, it could also just be their, their kind of trust because even if they understand that, they might've understood that, but they might not kind of trust that it actually is gonna to get to the right decision. So then they're gonna help them as well, so. Yeah, I, th- I think there are just too many different factors. Like trust might be one, but also just uh, an inappropriate mental model of how it works or just a lack of knowledge about how it works. Um, they think that they're helping it if they're doing something. Like um, they think that that would make the, the process or interaction smoother when it actually doesn't. So yeah, these mm-hmm. are all very interesting um, research questions for sure. Um, is there anything else that you would like to tell our listeners? Um, any thoughts or comments or just, you know, anecdotes that you would like to tell? Um, yeah, so yeah, um, well, thank you. Thank you very much, um, uh, Adina, for, yeah, for, for interviewing me. And I, yeah, I think it's, uh, HRI is a really interesting area. It also kind of has like a lot of sub areas uh, with, you know, uh, HCI connections with HCI, connections with human factors. 
um, a lot of you know the technical component and other components. So yeah, I think there's a lot to discover still uh, for yeah in HRI. Yeah, for sure. And I'm really glad that uh, you agreed to to join this interview. And I learned a lot from from it. I think it's, there's a lot of unanswered questions in this field, and there's just a lot of promise in terms of research for sure. Thank you to Professor Jamie Lee for this interesting conversation. We hope you enjoyed this episode and stay tuned for new episodes coming soon.